I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, Everybody, this is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, and Brett. It's been a, it's been a week since we recorded. <laughs> and to say things have been quiet for Arizona football would be an understatement. Um, there's some recruiting news that we'll get to, but the biggest story seems to be Arizona. I wouldn't say they made headlines for wrong reasons, but they certainly were in the news once again for, under, I guess, questionable circumstances and questionable accusations and allegations. That's a pretty good setup, Adam. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah, because it's, you know, I, obviously referring primarily to the Edgar Barola news mm-hmm. uh, with his suspension uh, due to uh, allegedly not complying with the the reg- the procedures and regulations that the team needs to be following. Uh, and then he's kind of gone on, on a couple of media outlets and kind of voiced his side of the story, which is... You know, given his perspective, and my favorite thing is all of the media people and all the people on Twitter basically just use some form of the phrase. There's a lot to unpack here when yeah. they listen to the full to the full story. Yeah, I, I guess the summary is you said he was suspended, and Brola went on Twitter and was talking about how at first he was saying that he was not he didn't like or he didn't trust the COVID nineteen protocols. He didn't feel safe at Arizona. He voiced those concerns, and he was suspended. And then people are like, wait, what? Because the Pac-12 announced a long time ago that anybody who doesn't feel comfortable doing the workouts and wants to opt out of things can do so and remain in good standing. Arizona has said as much. And unless they're lying to everyone and, like, they say that, you know, to the media, but then in practice, like, what, you don't want to play? You don't want to practice? You know, well, now you're suspended. That would be a huge story if that was the case. And people are wondering, like, is that is that really how it is? Because that seems like a – that doesn't seem like a way – a path that anybody wants to go down. Even if you believe a guy should be out there, like who could who can make that case if you're someone, if you're Hickey, if you're the University of Arizona? So the more people dug into this, there are some things with Barola that have come out, and he did go on to the media outlets. He talked to KVOA, David Kelly, had a long interview with him, explained his side of the story. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday evening. There's a story that came out now in the Arizona Daily Star about him too. Uh, Michael Evan, Justin Spears combined for that one. And the gist, as I understand it, is Barola doesn't really believe in the COVID-19 protocols. Like, that's kind of like the overarching theme here because he doesn't really think it's as big of a deal. He doesn't think that, well, he believes certain things about the virus that are not widely accepted in the medical community. But that is only a big issue because, as he says it, the training staff 
misdiagnosed an injury he had last season. So he has a distrust of the program, of the medical staff, and that very medical staff is saying he has to do these things about COVID-19, which he already doesn't believe in, then you have a situation like you have right now. Yeah, so I think the best way to approach this is to kind of parse it out a little bit, right? Like, first, the the suspension, if, you, if somebody is not following the protocols, I personally say good on someone and the staff and the university for trying to enforce it. Because if you're somebody that wants to see college football, like we all do, (laughs) you know, the only way there's a chance of it working is if you have very strict and effective protocols in place uh, uh, to try to absolutely minimize, you know, I would say eliminate, but there's almost no way to eliminate because I think, you know, the risk because, as this kind of reveals, you know, as a sidebar, the incredible challenge that that that, that is is to do that to create a bubble for all these college players mm-hmm. and staff and everybody, especially you know, if students start coming back to campus, it's hard enough with professional athletes who are making millions of dollars and they can rent out, you know, a large section of Disney World to isolate <laughs> NBA players, right? Um, and you've seen in baseball that they're not, you know, in one location in a bubble and they've already ran into significant issues. Right. Um, but to go back to this situation, pers- you know, specifically, I think that is a good on the university for following through on that, because the only way this works is if there is that kind of, uh, you know, enforcement. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then if you want, you know, I don't want to we don't know the full details from either perspective, if we're going to be no. bluntly <laughs> blunt with each other, right? You know, Edgar Brola has given his perspective and he basically acknowledged that he did not follow the protocols multiple times, right? You know, I think it was showing up one time without a mask uh, and another time and then having helping somebody move because he has a pickup truck, which but, like his at, roommate has COVID and yeah, yeah and he's still you know, in quarantine. And, and as the guy that had a pickup truck in college, I am sympathetic to being the guy that gets enlisted <laughs> to help people move. Um, it seems like it's a good excuse of like, hey, man, I got a quarantine. I got a shelter in place because I might have COVID. Sorry, can't help you today. Yeah. And then, you know, if I'd, to parse into the I don't I don't really want to go too far into like some people have gone into like things he's tweeted about coronavirus and what he does and does not believe. Um you know, the, the not trusting the U of A staff is is an interesting thing to suggest. And let's just assume that his complaints about the misdiagnosis with his shoulder injury are completely valid and correct, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just, I'm going to stipulate for for the purposes of this point um, that that is accurate. Well, that'd be, that'd be a hell of a lie if he goes on and says that, and then he had to go back home and get the MRIs and pay for surgery and all that. Like that, yeah. That's an easily disprovable lie if that's the case. So I agree. That's probably true. Like I believe him when he says that that was misdiagnosed or it was diagnosed correctly, and then he heard it even more from that initial diagnosis. But I believe him when he says he believes it was misdiagnosed. Yeah, that's fair. And just I'm going to stipulate for the purposes of – this conversation that let's just assume that that it was a complete misdiagnosis right and that makes him skeptical that's that staff is are they are not epidemiologists so like <laughs> uh if, if you follow me on the twitter machine you know how much i i don't appreciate the takes of people who are not epidemiologists or respiratory doctors um talking about coronavirus because 
me, you, most people don't know as much as those experts know about Mm -hmm. coronavirus. So a misdiagnosed shoulder injury, in my opinion, is not a valid reason to not trust the protocols set forth by the staff. Oh, that's absolutely Um, the case. Like the Venn diagram of issues, like you could misdiagnose a shoulder issue and still be absolutely correct on these protocols for COVID-19. They're completely unrelated. And well, and they weren't made by the U of A staff. Let's be real, right? Like it's, it's coming there. I, I mean, Bobby Robbins is a medical doctor. He's not an epidemiologist, but like, there's a medical school, you know, at U of A, which is fairly well acclaimed, and there's plenty of doctors, and they're partners with Banner Health, and they work with the governments, and I'm sure the NCAA has tons of wisdom. Uh, I had the sarcasm font on on for that one, Adam. I saw um, to kind of to 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 contribute, and you know, all of these people know how much everybody wants to have a college football season, including the players. Uh, but you know, we're at a point in a pandemic where the not trusting of those guidelines is making things worse and not getting everyone to where we want to be. Yeah, and from some of the quotes, it sounds like Barola kind of understands it, but also doesn't, right? Like, he mentioned that his roommate was diagnosed with COVID-19, but he's like, yeah, we were in our different rooms, but you got to leave the house, right? You can't be in the house the whole time. It's like, no, that that's the point of this, right? Like, if you might be infected, you're supposed to stay home, and it sucks. No one likes doing it. It's hard. And I can only imagine for a college kid away from home, like, in Tucson, it's like, hey, I want to go get food. I want to go help my friend move. Like, I get that. But to say it's like, well, you got to leave the house, right? It's like, no, you don't. That's the point of this whole thing. So... And I, and I understand, too, for like a college kid, like it's it's rough. You're an athlete. You're used to having a certain lifestyle and you want to do things the right way, but you also don't quite agree with it. Then you're more likely to take those chances. And to your point, like what you have acing and someone's like all it takes is one player to do this the wrong way, especially a player who had close contact with someone who is covid positive. Like this isn't just random. Like his roommate has it. So they're probably being or taking a closer look at him and what he's doing. It's like, hey, if anyone's more likely to have this, it's you. And all it takes, Arizona's done a good job. I think they had, what, three players test positive when they did their initial reentry, And they're looking to continue on now starting next week because they've had no one since then. But all it takes is one guy coming in and having it and being asymptomatic for it to spread. And all of a sudden, now you're like a lot of the other programs around the country that had to stop. That now you're going to say, there's no way they're going to be able to have football. There's no way they can do anything of the sort. So it's... You don't want to, like, say Barola's absolutely in the wrong with everything, right? Like, he's a football player. He's used to certain things, and we don't know what's going on in his life, and we don't know everything. We didn't talk to him ourselves. But reading between the lines and reading the quotes and the videos and all that stuff, it just sounds like there's a miscommunication, there's a misunderstanding, there's mistrust, and that's where they're at. And to me, and maybe because I was never an athlete at this level in any kind, but if you don't trust the medical staff, then why are you still at Arizona? If you don't trust them enough to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to follow these protocols so we can play again, why are you there? And he said, like, it, it's not the same Arizona as when he was when he committed. Well, no, there's a different coaching staff, and also a pandemic wasn't a thing. Like, this is all new for everyone, and you'd like, you'd like to think, even though you won't expect it, you'd like to think that most players will at least have the understanding of, like, no one knows what to do here. They're all just doing the best they can. And everyone has to err on the side of safety, err on the side of caution, and if you're a player who is repeatedly making mistakes, repeatedly stepping out of bounds when it comes to the protocols, 
then someone has no choice but to basically say, We're, you're not welcome around this program because if he shows up and is asymptomatic, that's a huge issue when he's not taking care of himself. So it's not it's not a fun headline. It's not something we wanted to see, but it doesn't sound like Arizona for their part. At, as far as we know, it doesn't sound like Arizona has done anything that they shouldn't have at this point when it comes to the COVID-19 stuff. Yeah, and just to... To, to really nail drive home that last point you were making that someone kind of has to do that it's not just even about having a healthy football roster and wanting to have college football like we have a shall we say senior uh, a, a high level of seniority on the defensive coaching staff and they a lot go of home experience to their... that's what we were yeah. going with before <laughs> the pandemic they were an experienced defensive coaching staff yeah and like you know it's not even just about the players and even for the players, like, okay, okay, Clay Travis, the death rate is low, especially for young people, but there is also long-term impacts, especially for athletes where they're finding, like, potential outcomes to their heart health and their long-term respiratory health, and there's so many things to consider, uh, and that's not even just getting to trying to have an actual season, right? So if for this to work, it requires, you know, a level of consistent commitment from so many people that you kind of have to take this approach. And, you know, honestly, I kind of doubt that with 125 players on a roster and call it 75 staff per team times 65 power five teams, when most of like, you know, two thirds of that are guys in their teens and twenties. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm highly skeptical that there will be that level of consistent, uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be more than one. Uh, was it, what is it? Lou Williams, Story from the uh, NBA bubble. Chicken wings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lou, <laughs> Louis want wingy. <laughs> but but that, and that's and that's a professional athlete, right? And they're in a bubble, and we we're seeing that the bubble it apparently works. Which of course, if you can isolate, the bubbles are just a lot of players isolated, and that's what they're trying to do here. That's the only way this seems to work right now. But just for Barola, it you don't like to see this. But if he doesn't. It almost like in a situation like this, when no one really knows what's going on, like you trust the people that are consulting with those who know best, right? And if you don't trust those people, then it's not going to work out for you. And Barola clearly doesn't trust me. He doesn't believe in all these protocols. I think in the Tucson.com, the Daily Star article, he mentioned they just, he doesn't think it's necessary to be hand sanitizing and wearing a mask and doesn't want to do distancing and all that. And like to be fair, none of us want to do that, I don't think. But if there's any chance of this thing working, one, we want the pandemic to end, but two, like once it ends, you can have a football season. This seems to be the way that it can happen. Like it's the best chance anyway. There's no guarantees. Like right. they could be doing everything the right way, but there's no guarantee it's going to work. So I don't know. Like I, this came out and his initial tweet got a lot of play on social media. And now we're starting to see his explanation of where his thoughts are. And it makes more sense to me why he feels the way he does. That doesn't change my opinion that Arizona is handling this the right way. So whether or not Barola is part of the team next season, whatever the next season is, that's not up to me. That's not up to you. It's not up to, I mean, who knows? It's up to him and someone in the coaching staff. But it's it's hard to imagine he's going to be part of the roster when they play again, whether it's this upcoming season or if it's 2021, just because it's like, it, it's almost like he's trying to burn that bridge with a lot of stuff he's said. And again, if you don't trust the medical staff, you don't trust the coaching staff to keep you safe, what are you doing? Like go somewhere yeah. else, and like that's respectable. If you say, you know what, if 
if there were players like in, I wrote the thing for Desert Swarm a few weeks ago, and early on there were, you know, some players when the thing got really hot zone in Arizona, gonna like we're gonna go home, we're not feeling comfortable, and Arizona's like cool, like we understand that. But if you really don't think that Arizona is taking things the right way or doing things the right way and keeping you all safe during this, then don't be there. They're not forcing you to be on campus, and they're certainly not going to penalize you. And if you really don't like them, you can transfer. Hell, other players have already done it. <laughs> like they've already lost a few players to transfer, not for COVID nineteen reasons. Reasons we don't think, but so it's just there. It's it's a it's probably not a huge story. Because college kids, players, they're going to have their issues. They're going to shoot their mouths off at times, and that's just reality. And it doesn't sound like Arizona has done anything wrong. Now, if their medical staff is misdiagnosing injuries, that's a problem. <laughs> like that, 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 that would be an issue if it's like if there's more players like, yeah, I had, you know, they said it was a sprained ankle and I really had a fracture, you know, or they just said it was like a bruised knee and I tore my ACL. If you start to have stuff like that, it's like, okay, there might be a deeper story here. But right now, it just sounds like one frustration from a player who doesn't quite understand what's happening. And then something happened to him with a suspension. He's not happy about that. And why would he be, if he doesn't really believe in the reason they're suspending him? Yeah. And there was an interesting comment he made in the David Kelly interview. I think I forget the exact question that he was responding to where it's basically like, do you, do you want to play here? And is there trust there or something like that? And, and, you know, is there more players that feel the way you do? And he kind of, he, his answer, if you want to parse it, was interesting to me because I think he basically said, yeah, there's other people, but I'm speaking for myself. But then he said, there's also a lot of people that really want to be there, which and is like... alluded oh. that there are people who are afraid to say what he's saying because they don't want to suffer the same consequences. I mean, it's... Yeah, so, but, like, but also, you know, the university was announced they're moving forward with letting freshmen come in on campus next week, I think on August 3rd. And for those guys, you know, I, you know, I, I, you, if you watch them on the on the Twitter machine, they're super excited to be coming to school, to be going to college, to be start participating, and like, you know, you know, you know, having, I don't, I'm not one that generally likes the whole notion of making an example of somebody who, for not following protocol, but for those for those young guys that are going up to no, college, no, they're not going to get. They're you not going to get the college examples of, of oh, people well, like this is COVID protocols. You have to make examples sure. of people because all it takes is one. You let one slip, no matter who it is. Now, granted, if it was Grant Gunnell, they might be handling it differently. I don't think that. I think that's fair to say. If it was Colin Schooler, they'd be handling it differently, right? Than a lineman who they may or may not. He started some games last season, but this is the type of thing where you can't. You really shouldn't play those games. You either follow the protocols or you're not around. Like that's, that's it. A, yeah. Well, that's a. And that's a fair point. And I think maybe just as much as like talent level, I think usually when by the time it gets to like a suspension or a guy kicked off a team, there's usually it's usually not just one incident. Granted, COVID might be the exception to the rule um, But you know, that like I mean, Edgar Brola even said he broke the protocol multiple times. <laughs> right. Like it wasn't even just once. Um, so. Does that mean that there was maybe even more times that he's not acknowledging that maybe the staff knows about or other players know about? Like, we don't know the details. No, there's probably more to the story than, we, than we're all aware of. Oh, there's 99.999%. There's much more to the story that and, we're not aware of. And but. the thing that's tricky in stories like this is, you know, Barolo and or other players. Not, he's not the first player to ever speak out about coaches. I and mean, we've seen some of the UVA guys, after they transferred, they said things. That's common. But... They can say all they want. Your chance, chance that you're not going to hear the coaches or the school 
respond, right? You're just going to get the generic statement. I think I saw the statement in uh, Michael Lev's article from someone, just like a generic thing. like, you know, we're keeping on these protocols and anyone who doesn't abide by them, you know, we can't allow that. We can't have that here. But they're not going to just respond to Barone and be like, dude, you're full of crap. You know, that's not going to happen. So in a, in, a, in a battle of words or a war of words here, the players have the high ground, so to speak, in that they can get away with a lot of things, but the moral high ground, I mean, it's there's more to it, right? That's It doesn't yeah. sound like the coaching staff has done anything wrong. Like, is it possible there's more that we don't know? And it's like, hey, what have they been doing? Yes, of course. But when it comes to COVID, I think we agree on this, Brett. Like, if you're not following the protocols that were designed and seem to be working for U of A, then you should not be around the program. And if that means, if you just said, hey, you know what? I don't feel comfortable right now. I don't feel comfortable with you your protocols so i'm gonna sit those workouts out that would be allowed but if you're gonna be there you're agreeing to abide by those rules by those new policies so if you don't do it then you're gonna suffer the consequences and that's what this is here yeah and i think that goes back to good on the staff overall for approaching it this way as it relates to corona um and i would even not to go down the rabbit hole of like the allegation of the misdiagnosis like there's probably more to that story than we know just than just probably. what Edgar Rolla said. And even I mean, look at in the NBA or in real life, how many second opinions do doctors have or do do do, do people get uh, from separate doctors? And then it's like, you know, is surgery the right way to go or is it not? And that's mm-hmm. even those things as you know, it's it's hard to say. And I don't want to like say that. Barola was just trying to like throw a lot of things out there. Cause I'm sure it's, it's genuinely how he's feeling. Um, but, but rarely in life are things as simple and black as white as perhaps what the coronavirus protocols should be. Right. Like those are like, these are the rules. That's what you agree to. And There's you no don't gray area. abide by every one of them. You can't be like, I did everything, but wear a mask or I did everything, but, you know, socially distance. Like you have to do all of it. It's hard. It's hard on all of us. So we're not athletes. We're not college kids trying to get ready for what might be a season. And it's hard on it's hard on me to do everything the right way. You know, I'll admit that. Like you do the best you can. But I'm also not trying to have a football season. I'm not around, you know, forty five other people or in a locker room or in the cafeteria where if I were to get sick and slip up, I'm likely to infect, you know, a dozen more people just in that one moment. So like it's like I think a lot of people probably feel for Barola's plight, you know, to the extent that it's like, hey, this isn't this isn't fun for anyone. And in a normal offseason, this would not be a story. Of course, that he would have gone through camp. He might be set up to start next year. Probably not. But he would be set to have a role on the team. And now instead, there's this pandemic which has him in the spotlight for no good reasons. Yeah. I mean, the, if, if there's a good thing that comes out of it, I think that that expectation now is extra clear to all the freshmen coming on campus starting next week, right? Yeah, and good transition. That is something that's supposed to be happening for Arizona. Their, uh, their COVID protocols, like they brought players in, and then they paused because like, oh, well, Arizona, not because of anything for them, but because Arizona became a hotspot. And maybe they're like, we don't want to bring people back into this. Or they're like, no one's going to want to come back into this right now. But a few weeks into that, there's enough confidence in their plan where football players, freshman football players, are coming back, like you said, uh, next week, uh, starting on August 3rd. It's already August, almost. That's crazy. 
2020 is going both fast and incredibly slowly at the same time. And then supposedly, uh, according to Bruce Pascoe, then basketball players are going to be coming back on August 12th, women's and men's basketball players August 12th, which that'll be interesting too because there's a lot of new players for Arizona basketball team. But, you know, we anytime we talked about this and it's like the progression of the offseason, the progression of the seasons coming, we, it's always with the tinge of maybe it'll happen. Like there's so much because even if Arizona does everything right, and we've talked about this, if they do everything right, they get through this, they have the players on campus, everyone is COVID-free, doesn't mean there's going to be a season or at least not a season close to on schedule. But if nothing else, like I do like seeing that story because it lends confidence that, you know what, they're doing it the right way so far. Not only just like the plan that they have in place is good, but pretty much every student athlete is doing what they should be doing. Yeah, and it's it, it'll be interesting interesting to see how the basketball uh, folks coming on campus goes because I feel like that's a much easier man situation to manage. There's just so many fewer people. Yeah, you know, um, the challenge of the football side is that it's just the rosters and the staffs are so in, immense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's easier like an entire team and staff for a basketball team like the men's basketball team. There's probably what you could keep it to twenty five guys total. And it's a younger, they, younger coaching staff on both basketball teams. Yeah, but it, I would even say that, like, you still have to maintain the same protocols just oh, yeah, because of, course, of the of potential course. impacts long term to to their health, especially as pro athletes that have aspirations to play in the NBA. For sure. Um, you know, so well, I I think you're right, and I think like the the Mar the Florida Marlins situation kind of shows how tenuous all of this is going to be, and I think. You know, we're all, regardless of what some people may think on social media, literally everyone is rooting for this to work. Say we don't, our jobs don't depend on, you know, not, not to give people a look behind the curtain here, but we don't pay our bills based on Wildcat Radio 2.0 funds, right? Like (laughs) we like doing this because we love sports, but there are a lot of people out there who rely on sports happening to get a paycheck. And do you really think they don't want sports? No. They're just like a lot of us are saying, you know what? Like, we'd like to have sports. It's just hard to see it happening knowing how difficult it is. And like you said, the Marlins are showing how difficult it is. Like, we don't know who broke protocol or what happened. But all of a sudden, within like two days, it's like they went from seven players to 14. I think they're close to like 20 people, including coaches who are COVID positive. So it's, it's not great. You know, and that puts it in a situation for college kids for these programs. And we've talked about this before, Brett, is that no one like there's no uniform plan across the country from team, you know, school to school, conference to conference and see there's no single plan. And even if there is, it's going to be hard to make it work because it looks like hockey has the bubble NHL. They're up in Canada and, you know, the NBA, they did their bubble. But baseball, they're trying to go from stadium to stadium, empty stadium to empty stadium, but stadium to stadium, which means traveling, which means being in different cities. College isn't going to have a bubble. You can't. There's no way you could play football in a bubble with as many players as you have and coaches and just the way the sport is. So they have to be extra perfect on everything. And so far, Edgar Barola notwithstanding, it seems like Arizona's done a good job. Well, and the coronavirus trying to create a bubble for college athletes unintentionally helps shine a brighter light on amateur status compared to like pro athletes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, NBAers are getting millions of dollars to go sit in a bubble and they can do that because there it's like, Hey, 
I can separate from my family for a few months, and they were already going to be on the road anyway, but get paid $20 million from that. A lot of these guys are, you know, <laughs> regardless of what some people may, may think, they're not, you know, getting paid particularly mm-hmm. uh, beyond scholarships and, and stipends, right? Um, and so... <laughs> It's it's gonna be it's gonna be tenuous at best uh, until more broadly the the virus is more under control or we get a vaccine and that's just the reality of it and I think the challenge is and and maybe this kind of to harken back to people in my life and your life I'm sure uh, or Edgar Barola it's like I I kind of have this theory that people with cor- coronavirus and quarantine have like the stages of grief in accepting how bad it is. And like, you know, I have family members who were, have kind of been in denial and then, uh, bargaining and then anger. Well, it's just happened. It's been so much time. All right. Like this started in March for pretty much all of us and it's already the end of July and it's like, we've never dealt with this before. That's four months now of a pandemic that's had at times been getting better and in some places getting better and others it's gotten worse and it's just the ebbs and flows of it the ups and downs it's it's really difficult to deal with and like unfortunately this is just a human condition is that unless it directly impacts you you don't necessarily grasp it and i think we grasp it but fortunately we haven't had to worry about like the direct like as bad as like we know people who have lost family members and lost friends and like it shouldn't take stuff like that to make you wake up and be like, whoa, this needs to be taken seriously. And think of us when we were 18, 19 years old. And then think of yourself as 18, 19 and a Division One, you know, Power 5 athlete. You think you're invincible at that point. You already think you're invincible at that age. Now you're like an athlete who has professional aspirations. Like, you got to be feeling good about yourself as just as a person. So to get over that and be like, you know what? I need to take this seriously. Like, even if I'm not vulnerable, someone else is. That's hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's COVID nineteen in a in a <laughs> in a nutshell. Summed it up just like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, you know, that if there's something to be the positive things you can take out of the sports coming back, like the NBA bubble and the NHL bubble, is hopefully that can help dispel some of the, shall we say, less than scientifically based notions on social media that uh, quarantining doesn't work. Because it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fun, like, but it's effective. It's, you know, and we're learning more about it. And, you know, wear your damn mask so we can have college sports because we all want it. And despite what Adam Green says, we want to make it so we can, you know, maybe not make a living off this, but smash that subscribe button, Adam. Let's get some more followers. It'd be nice to make $3. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're, we're going to take a quick break. While we're on that break, f- feel free to enjoy the commercial and smash that subscribe button. You know, make it worthwhile to your efforts and ours. When we come back, Arizona did add a couple more commits over the last week. So we'll talk about that right after this break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. And Brett, you know, we were talking about Arizona's future, like the immediate future. Will there be football? Won't there be football? But that doesn't mean they've been quiet on the recruiting front for the 2021 class. And now that I say that out loud, I don't know what they have to do with each other. It's a terrible way to bring the show back. I'm sorry, but it's too late. It's what's done is done. So Arizona did add a couple more recruits over the last week or so. Um, defensive players, Jamarian Peterson, a defensive end from New Orleans, and then Jaquez Harvey, a defensive end from Los Angeles. And both of these players are guys where you look at the size, you're like, okay, they fit what Arizona's been trying to do. And you look at their offer list, you're like, all right, now it's getting better. And early in this recruiting class, it's like, okay, we may like these guys, but their offer list wasn't terribly inspiring. Now you're starting to see some more uh, commits. You're like, okay, I I can see where maybe other schools want this guy too. Good job, Arizona. Yeah, and not just that. They're guys at a position where an infusion of depth and talent is absolutely needed, especially as we transition into a 3-4 system. These guys seem like guys that can profile to be that 3-4 defensive end, that kind of that five technique, which is kind of a hard position to really get in terms of that combination of size and and speed and agility. So, and and as you said, these guys have pretty good offer lists. I, I'm pretty sure I texted you after uh, Harvey's commit that look, if you do a quick search of the player, he, you know, in June was saying how ASU was the dream offer. Yeah, but uh, June so, was so long ago, man. In COVID <laughs> years? Like, yeah, I was... I was so young back then and optimistic. <laughs> um, that was like 47 commits ago for Arizona football. Right. <laughs> no, and, that, and that's um, the thing. Like, in, we've talked about it again. Is like you look at a player and we're not scouts. We're not going over these guys' films. We're not talking to coaches. You know, you look at the size. Okay, do they look like they fit that mold of what they're trying to do there? You look at their ratings, and these are both three stars, mid to high three-star recruits. But then you look at the offer list, and we can start with Harvey. Obviously, he committed to Arizona, but Arizona State, Colorado, Kansas, Fresno State. Um, and like you said, he was, you know, Oregon offered him. Oregon, Utah offered him. Washington State. So the, this guy had legitimate offers, some that were probably better offers in terms of better programs. So why he chose Arizona, maybe it's the idea of, hey, immediate playing time bonded with the coaching staff, which has apparently done a really good job with this virtual recruiting. And you say, okay, you know, this is a commitment where 6'4", 245, looks like just a beast on the field, just a big, big dude. And then this is in high school, so we have to translate to the college level. But it's not a commitment where when you say it's a three-star, it doesn't get people excited. But when you just break him down, it's like, okay, this was a good get. I mean, clearly someone and crew have been listening to our podcast because I've been on the record for months now of saying I would rather take a class of 
you know, high, mid to high three-star guys that all contribute and have a high hit rate. And it seems like it seems like they're following that kind of plan. And you know, and they probably wouldn't you, have known about that plan unless they listened to our show. So clearly, yeah. you know, um, so th- you got to feel good about it. And it's at a position where we have, we, you know, we picked up some defensive end guys in the last class, but they were really boomer bust types potentially. Right. Like yeah. Reagan, Terry, low floor, Dion Wilson, Paris Shand, uh, you know, there's a, realistically, if you get one out of those three to become like a really good player, you, you call that a win and hope you hope for two. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Based on the, based on these guys with their size, the offer list, and you know, just perusing their their highlight vids, you know, it looks like you, guys you can feel pretty comfortable about being people that can contribute here. Um, so you know, kudos to the staff, and I mean, slow down before we fill the class out before we uh, <laughs> get a few more, you know, high ra- highly rated targets. Though it does kind of it. it it's kind of gone according to the plan also though, where uh, typically people try to get their quarterbacks early and then kind of get their, their depth guys and the guys that they think are the diamonds in the rough early and then try to focus the, you know, the higher rated guys tend to, des- to decide later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that the average ratings and offer lists of the commits the last few weeks seem to have been climbing, it uh, has. which, which, you know, if you keep that, trajectory going forward i forget what the um the class i think it's up to 42 nationally and six in the pac 12 on 247 it is um you know like we talked about last week i think matt moreno was saying that he could see this class ending up in the in you know well into the 30s which that's for a team that has such the negative narrative around it and the kevin Sumlin, you know dead man walking narrative to be able to be recruiting at that level you know, is fantastic. Now the trick is going to be keeping it together, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe that's where you know we've talked about the coronavirus, where people can't go to camps and can't take visits as easily. You know, maybe that ends up helping out Arizona to hold this class together as they fill it out. Yeah, and that that's going to be the challenge, of course. But that's the challenge for every coaching staff, right? Until players sign their letters of intent, they're not technically committed to you, and. You know, I, I, I look at this class, and yeah, they're 42 overall, number six in the Pac-12, which there's still playing to happen. There's a lot of players out there who haven't committed. So I don't know if Arizona can somehow make it into the 30s. If they finished with a 42nd-ranked class, I'd call that a minor miracle too. And, you know, does it make you say that this coaching staff has things going in the right direction? Like, I don't think you can say that because you don't win games in recruiting, but your good recruiting could lead to winning games. So if Arizona comes out this season – in whatever kind of season this is and shows progress, you know, hopefully in wins, but if not wins, competitiveness, growth from the younger players as someone commits and recruits, then you could look at it and say, well, you know, the, the process that someone talked about after the ASU game last year, trust the process. Well, that process now involves believing in the players that they're bringing in to campus, bringing to Arizona, they can coach them up. And then you say, well, this next recruiting class isn't bad. That's better than it has been. Maybe they'll do it with these guys. And then you start to see a program getting built. But to your point, yeah, it seemed like early on there was a lot of just take decent talent, guys will commit, and not to denigrate any of these guys that have already committed because we talked about it before. There's a lot to like about the players that committed to this program early on. But once you get those guys in, then you can maybe focus on your bigger swings. And was Tyrese Johnson, the receiver, a bigger swing? Yes. He had offers. Montreal Johnson? Yes. You know, Peterson? Yes. So it's 
And Harvey, yes. So I'm impressed with what the coaching staff is doing. And everyone's up has the same disadvantage right now. Everyone has the issue of they can't bring guys into campus. The evaluation periods weren't there. So for Arizona to be able to land a guy like in Harvey who, what, two months ago? A month ago was saying ASU was his dream school. You know, like that was his number one. Like, I don't know what changed, but something did. And whether it's Arizona, I don't want to say flipped him because he wasn't committed to ASU, but Arizona was able to convince him that Tucson is the best place for him. So, you know, credit to the coaching staff that when they were hired, a lot of the defenses guys, we didn't think, you know, Stan Egan, you know, boo, you know, Paul Rose, we didn't think that these guys were there for the recruiting, like they're there to coach and they better be good at coaching. Yes. But their recruiting has been, I think, superior better than we thought it would be now is it because also that they could say if you come to arizona there's gonna be a lot of playing time perhaps as a freshman i'm sure that's part of the sales pitch i'm absolutely sure if it's not they're doing it wrong but whatever it takes get talent to tucson if yeah if that's not part of the recruiting pitch then you're don't deserve the job right um and you'd like to and we talked we've talked about it in the past you'd like to think especially with the, these defensive guys uh and they, even if they're you know the defensive coaches they're recruiting uh, regions and areas, right? Um, regardless of position or offense versus defense, um, if they've been around and had that many jobs and had a career for that long in college football, they should have a pretty good sense of what they're doing. Yeah, you know. Um, so, you know that in that in that sense, things are trending positively, and we just hope that we can <laughs> have a season and then. Yeah, not have it be something where it's, you know, if it goes into next year, then it becomes the complication of trying to have two seasons in nine months, which is maybe you have to rely on younger guys even more then, right? Yeah. Well, and even then, like, there's been talk about certain players from the recruiting class maybe and you know, going to Arizona early. If they don't play a high school football season, maybe getting to college in January. And depending on when a season starts, and we, we discussed this a little bit last week, like what happens there. I know it's not Arizona-related, but I saw on ESPN today, uh, Virginia Tech quarterback Caleb Farley already out and is going to prepare for the NFL draft. So, like, that's a domino to fall. And that's even before anyone really knows what a season would look like. He's already said, it doesn't matter. I'm out. And we don't know for some of these players that Arizona's getting. And I'm, I have no doubt that's not part of the recruiting pitch, that, hey, you might be able to play in our next season. Because no one knows, but certainly it makes you feel better when they're bringing in guys or getting guys like this to commit where you say, if something were like crazy like that were to happen, or even if it doesn't, but still these guys are going to be on campus when they lose talent on the defensive side of the ball, there's a better chance that whether some of the guys, the projects that they got for 2020, or some of these players you say, hey, they've got a pretty good offer list for 2021, the odds of a couple of those guys being able to contribute next season get higher and higher. And that's what they need. So like, I, I, I do think we're probably grading the coaching staff on a curve. You know, that they, they sent a bad benchmark for themselves. Like when you're getting the 12th ranked class in the Pac-12, the 11th ranked class in the Pac-12, like being 6th or 7th, it's like, like, oh my God, that's you went up half a conference. Like, great job. Like, yeah, I, I slowed down. Like it was their own recruiting that was bad to begin with. But whatever's changed for them up to this point, it's certainly a positive thing. And, you know, they brought in someone he wasn't necessarily known as like a great game coach. He was a recruiter and he hadn't been much of a recruiter since he got to Tucson. And maybe he's learned what it takes to recruit to Arizona, which would be weird given that they haven't won at Arizona since he's been there. So you'd think that'd make it more difficult, but 
you have to like what you're seeing. And in a time where there's no games to be won, in a crazy offseason where you just want positive news, shoot, in a week like we led this show with what could be seen as bad news surrounding the program, getting commitments like this gives you something to feel good about. Absolutely. And <laughs> it goes back to what we talked about uh, from Gabe, our friend Gabe and Sinus's questions. Is, the, is it trending in the right direction? I mean, it, there was nowhere to go but up. It was, you know, pardon the expression, but a dead cat bounce from a recruiting ranking perspective. <laughs> Granted, you know, I, I've, I'm numerous times on the record that I think some, that someone's 19 class actually looks like a pretty reasonable class in terms of contributions. Um, and this, you know, this class is seeming to have, you know, some nice combination of guys that seem like they're going to contribute with some upside and, you know, relatively high floor and some, and some significant potential that you got to feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And that's the, the ability to feel good about anything with Arizona football right now is a welcome change. And I, and I don't know, like we could, we'll take a break in a second, but like, how do you feel about this coaching staff right now? And it's weird because it's a hard question to ask because nothing's happened on the field since the last time we saw them when they won four games and lost to ASU in the final game of the season, a season which saw a quarterback controversy, Khalil Tate to basically bottom out a lot of injuries. And it's like, if you said, how do you feel about someone in this coaching staff at that point? It's like, well, no one can say good. And since then they haven't, they've, added one of the worst recruiting classes in the Pac-12, like signed, letters of intent signed, and they haven't played a game. They had, like, four practices, which wouldn't really tell you much anyway. And yet, like, I do feel better about them at this exact moment. Does that make any sense? I mean, it does, I think. In the, well, like, I've, I've said numerous times, things are never as good or as bad as they seem in the moment, right? And so, like, I don't think either of the last two Arizona teams were as necessarily as bad as their records were. You know, it doesn't take that much creativity to see a field goal go in here or, some, you know, one play in a game there, and they're suddenly, if not bowl eligible, they're, you're feeling a lot better about it. Um, and it's, you know... You, you like we went through the depth chart. Like look at the look at the quarterback room. You've got Grant Cannell, Will Plummer, Kevin Doyle, and now Clay Millen. Like you feel pretty good about that as a young core of a quarterback class. Not even going into Rhett Rodriguez, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's 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 the narrative game, and it, the thing is, it's all doesn't matter until you see how they produce, right? And we've talked about some of the classes that had highly rated guys that you know the. Like I said, my my biggest uh, question of Rich Rod's recruiting classes wasn't their ranking, but it was the fact that all the high-rated guys that made that high ranking, they had a pretty low hit rate, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why the roster someone inherited hasn't had the depth required, especially on you know like things like the defensive line, um, and just not having that size in general. And that's clearly something that's not going to be as much of an issue. And these kind of classes with high hit rates, you know. I will keep banging that drum of do not underestimate the value of depth as a team that's just trying to get back to bowl eligibility because that's that's like the fundamental key in my mind of being competitive year in and year out is depth and they just haven't had it the last couple years and you can see it being built the last in the last couple years and with this class and uh, hopefully that depth also features enough starters and impact players to win games right if you but I'm glad you said that because part of me is like, I don't want to be a homer, 
right? And if you read my stuff on Izzy Desert Swarm, like the thing I last wrote last week was like, even like one, we need a season just to know if someone should stick around, right? Like if, if there's no season, how can you really be sure if he's got the program going in the right direction? But then before that was based, the column before that was, even the crazy circumstances they have, if he doesn't improve, show improvement, he should be gone, assuming they can you know find the money to fire him and replace him. So, but I do also think that like I've seen this Austin, awesome, like you know what I do feel better about their future, and it's just like that doesn't necessarily make sense. But the way you broke it down, maybe I'm onto something instead of being on something. So that that's nice. I mean, we'll check back after whenever the season happens, and maybe we will just look like. Uh... Pollyanna-ish homers. We'll, de- we'll ask know. Brian to delete this podcast off of Wildcat Radio, the, the account. Like, you know what? This one never happened. Delete the podcast, Adam. Exactly. So let's take a break. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back. And we talked a lot about football, which, of course, that's ostensibly the next season that'll start of the main sports for Arizona. But basketball, there's been a couple of headlines. I'm recording this on Wednesday. Let's start with one of the most fun ones. Uh, over the weekend, incoming freshman Kirk Krissa had a great game as Estonia beat Latvia to win the Baltic Way Cup. And, like, he was he was great, you know, and had a phenomenal weekend. And then he had a great press conference, too, afterwards where he just you saw the intensity that he could bring. You saw the shooting he could bring. Um. And this is like a game against Lithuania, too. Like, they won the championship against Latvia, but his game against Lithuania when he had 26.7 assists, just, yeah. Like, this kid yeah. can play, eight, and he has a fire that people are all about. Eight, eight threes against Lithuania. And if you, if you know anything about international basketball going back to even, like, the 90s, Lithuania is... They, that's like the Dominican Republic of European basketball. What Dominican Republic is for baseball is like Lithuania is for basketball in Europe, right? Yeah. Like there's just an incredible amount of talent that comes out of there. And he hit what eight threes in that game. And I watched some of the highlights and boy, you could just see that guy. You can see why Sean Miller and he are going to get along just nicely. And to your point, even those post game comments, um, boy, that that sounded like a um, <laughs> that sounded like a fan you know, favorite right there. <laughs> that's, that sounded like a European version of a T.J. McConnell, Sean Miller mindset point guard. That, but also somebody that's hitting eight threes against a really good team while also getting seven assists. Yeah, uh, and you know, and I misspoke. His game against Lithuania was better uh, than his game against Latvia, but just the weekend he had, and you see him, and we, like my assumption has been that James Akinja will be the starting point guard that he'll be the number one guy. I'm sure that's his assumption, too, when he transferred to Arizona. And that may very well be the case. But it certainly looks like Chris, uh, I mean, just from those highlights and from these games, will contribute early on as a freshman. Maybe he's not the lead guard all the time, but as a capable backup point guard and someone could play off the ball, too, when you can shoot like that. And that's the thing that Arizona's been missing largely in the Sean Miller era was shooting. And that's not to say that because there are guys that we, like, Barcelo was supposed to be this great shooter in practice, never transferred into the games. You know, Gabe York was a good shooter at times. Mannion could shoot threes at times. But if Chris could come in and be something, 8 or 12 from three is excessive. Like, you don't expect that. That's Salim Stoudemire type of stuff. But if he can be deadly or he's capable from that spot, it changes his entire offense. And especially as another lead guard, a guy who can handle the ball and help space the floor. And, yeah, like his post-game interview when I think it was a friendly match, against Lithuania and he's like 
to me like, don't you take that away from us. Like <laughs> they're playing hard. We're playing hard. Like, you know, it's like, this seems like a fan favorite who's going to make an impact as a freshman. Yeah. And he's, he's the guy who, when we've talked about in the past, like how the, how the basketball minutes are going to get spread around, you know, if a is not eligible for a certain period of time for the transfer rules, if they don't give him a waiver, he was kind of the person that I, I, I already kind of had high hopes for him. And now I'm just, my cautious optimism is becoming less cautious optimism for him as a player. It's not cautious. Um, the optimism hasn't gone anywhere. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I already kind of halfway believed that he was maybe going to find his way into a starting spot, even with the the depth that's been added and with the returners that they have, you know, and Lord knows Sean Miller loves his uh, veteran players like Jamal Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, him and Akinjo on the court together at the same time can really make an offense go. But also he could be a hell of a guy off the bench to be a, a spark plug. Um, and I think you're right with the shooting and, you know, I think we talked about that, gosh, you know, when there was no roster to be heard of and we were adding all the big, you know, we had no big guys and then we added big guys and it's like, well, who's going to, where's the offense going to come from on the perimeter? And now you're, you're feeling more comfortable with that. You know, it's going to be, I, I really hope we can have a college basketball season start on time because I think this is going to be a fun team to watch develop. Yeah. They may not win everything right away, but, Boy, they're going to be fun, and they're going to be competitive, and I think that they're going to grow. And by the end of the season, it's going to be fun to see what they can do. Yeah, yeah. It was. It seems like it's kind of like the team that Arizona had last season. Only since last season didn't grow the way we we're all hoping, and didn't get a chance to just catch fire in the tournament and make a run. This team doesn't come in with the expectations as last year's team did. Of course, they're not going to be ranked in the top twenty-five whenever the season starts. And if you see everyone's. Well, a lot of people's preseason, you know, this time of year, top 25, top 50. I forget who's I saw, but I saw Arizona like in the mid-30s. It's like you're used to seeing Arizona in the top 25, though, right? Like their best teams, the ones you get most excited about, are usually top 25, top 15 to start. That doesn't mean they won't get there. That doesn't mean a team like this where there's so many unknowns when they're replacing their entire starting lineup and most of their roster with players that aren't five-star one-and-dones. Like I wouldn't expect them to be highly rated before the games start. But – to see a player like Krista who they might have to rely on, but also you're like, is he going to be ready to contribute? When he has a weekend like that, when he has games like that, you're like, okay, I see it. And not because I want to see it, but because it actually happened. Yeah, well, first point, preseason rankings mean absolutely nothing. Oh, I know, I know. And in, and in modern college basketball, they mean even less because all of the high-end teams turn over bulk of their roster every year. So there's so many unknowns. There is so little factual basis for any of those rankings. Um, and to be honest, I I think that it's going to be refreshing as an Arizona fan to have a team that isn't coming in with the burden of expectations on the team or on individual players when it comes to NBA uh, aspirations. I think there's going to be guys on this roster that make the NBA but I don't think there's going to be guys on this roster that are inclined to try to show off the skills for the NBA during the course of the season more than necessarily to win the game, as we've That's had fair. over the last couple of years. Now, but like you might want to be, well, you're optimistic, and I'm optimistic. We're going to be even more optimistic. Christian Coloco had a press conference on Wednesday, and besides just doing Coloco things, like I, I think he dunked on the media somehow. 
And I don't know. I mean, that's not even a thing. But now he, he did say that he's hoping to be about 235 pounds for his sophomore season where he was playing last season around. I think he said he entered the program at 195 and finished at about 205, 210. And he wants to be 235 by the time he takes the court, which would be he's already. I mean, he's so lanky. And like there's reason he's such a great shot blocker, right? And if he could have that bulk, and he'd also said that he's working on his offensive game, his shooting, and his free throws, which, yes, that's necessary. <laughs> so, uh, but it's also difficult where you said where it's like this doesn't get to be with the program right now. And Sean Miller mentioned that too, like to not have guys around the program in the gym with the coaches and with the trainers working with their teammates and everything. It's tough. And for a player like Coloco, who has all the physical tools in the world, but needs to be more refined, like that could be an issue. But he's doing the right things, and just the talent is there. Like, the potential is there. So, yeah, and also I think he said Jordan Brown is just a monster, like, that people are going to see. So, now that you expect players to be like, when he's asked about another player, like, oh, yeah, he's not very good. Like, that won't happen. But everyone's raving about Jordan Brown, too, and I'm sure Coloco went up against Jordan Brown quite a bit last season in practice. So, he has a pretty good idea of what that guy can do, too. I mean, if Christian... MF and Coloco is saying somebody else is a monster. Just hand us hand us the Pac-12 title now. <laughs> um, now, yeah, it's 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 really hard on a guy like Coloco because he was a developmental guy that already developed quicker than even Sean Miller expected, mm-hmm. and I think any of us expected. And he went from a guy that's like, oh, he's definitely gonna be a four-year, you know, guy that maybe can grow into like a interesting NBA prospect, like. His trajectory, that slope of that line now increased even after the limited minutes as a freshman, and maybe this unfortunately slows that down. Um, but maybe that also means he will stay here, you know, three or four years. Uh, but it's it's got to be hard, you know. Especially, I mean, you know, I you know I like to play basketball regularly and go lift weights, and I I mean it's not my it's not my job, but like boy, I miss playing basketball. I actually ordered an outdoor basketball just to go shoot at the asphalt-laden court by a church around the corner from my house when it was 100 degrees out. I'll I'll go shoot around. I mean, it felt really good. Um, And, (laughs) like, I can only imagine for these kids that are trying to develop, uh, you know, they they can't go to the gym with 20 people and play pickup games. So, like, I mean, I don't... I don't even know what facilities they have available for weightlifting or basketball courts that are safe in quarantine time, right? All the things that they've had their entire basketball careers, all the things they expected to have in terms of their perfect, like their development, their growth once they committed to a college, they don't have other than like Zoom meetings and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and for Coloco, he's he seems to understand what his weaknesses are and what he needs to work on. Like he was also asked about, he's like, I definitely don't work on my shot blocking. It's like, yeah, you're probably smart not to do. I mean, I don't know how you work on shot blocking without full five on five games, you know, your rotations and all that. But he is certainly one of those guys where you don't know what role he'll have next season because a lot was going to depend on his growth. Right. And this offseason, what type of player was Christian Coloco going to be as a sophomore? But, you know, he will have a role. And if that's off the bench with maybe Jordan Brown starting at the five, whether it's as a starter with Jordan Brown starting at the four, like just he's a shot blocking machine who, if his offensive game gets to where at least if he can make free throws at a 60% clip, he'll be tough to deal with. Yeah. My, my gut tells me he's probably coming off the bench with two, the, the better Tabellus brother and Jordan Brown starting. 
but I'm also intrigued at the notion of Kirk Carissa and his shooting and ball handling and playmaking ability with Coloco as a guy that's still developing as an offensive player. And just finish down but, low. Yeah. But can but can run the court really well for as big as he is and swatting some shots and then getting, you know, Carissa taking it and running with like I get a little excited thinking about it, I'm not gonna lie. Oh, you know, that that's this team, right? And like that's you said early before in the sense like Man, we hope there's a basketball season because there's a lot to like about this roster. Not in a guaranteed, man, you're going to love this roster. More of like, a, this could be a lot of fun. And especially with someone like Coloco, who we're big fans of from last season. If you've listened to this show, and I'm assuming if you're listening now, you've listened to this show quite a bit. We're big fans of Christian Coloco. And, but why not, right? Like, there's so much to like there about him as a player. And he also seems like a pretty cool kid. So, I don't know, how old do I sound right now? He seems like a pretty cool kid. Do they still say cool now? Is that a thing? I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I complain about my joints hurting all the time. It's all that basketball shooting around, man. Don't do it. It's the it's the concrete. You know, if you could play on a hardwood floor, it'd be easier on the joints. Well, man, and it wasn't just for me. For it wasn't just coronavirus. You know, I messed up my finger. You know, this in playing basketball in like January. That's why I was out. But <laughs> yeah, Brett. Before we finish the show, we. Always, every week we ask for the mailbag segment to see if people have any questions for us. Uh, Wildcat Radio AZ. And we'll always send out the tweet, usually on Monday or Tuesday, also on Wednesday, depending on the early in the week before the show. But also, even if you don't see the tweet, feel free to just ask us questions. You know, we'll make sure we get to them. You can ask them at any time, and we will get, we'll try to get to them for our next show. And we have one for this week. I think it was sent over last week, but after we did the show, Brett. So what's our mailbag for this week? Yeah, it was it was a late ad last week that was after the wire, but I I feel like it's kind of a fun one, and maybe it's something we can even dive into at a later time if we really want to go down this path. It was from Sam Askew at Sam Askew eleven. Uh, he said, "Too late, I know," referring to his submission. But it's is okay. Khalid, but is Khalid Reeves the most underappreciated Wildcat of all time? His 1994 season was unreal, averaged 24 a game, set the single-season scoring record of 848 points, dropped 40 points against the Fab Four, and led us to a Final Four averaging 29 a game in the tourney. I mean, I think he, I think he answered his question by backing it up with the, the stats. Yeah, and, and a question like this is tough for me because I don't know about you, Brett, but, like, I... I don't really. I didn't really follow U of A until I went to school at U of A, and I was class of two thousand six. So I started in two thousand two. Like I grew up in Arizona, so I knew the national championship team and all that. But I wasn't like a big U of A fan, so I have a hard time feeling like I'm a good judge of players that were before my time in school and therefore then thereafter. But I know Khalid Reeves. Like I remember him from the NBA, right? <laughs> like he didn't have a huge NBA career, but like obviously though the question there answered a lot because Clitoris was great. I'm trying to think like I'll let you start answering this question too while I try to think of maybe players that I think were underrated or underappreciated, but what do you think? I mean, I think I think uh Brian or uh, Sam is probably probably correct and I think his his data points, you know, support that notion. I can throw out some names who I think are are underappreciated and I think underappreciated can have a loose definition as well. Like it doesn't have to be a guy who's a superstar player, but somebody who added a, you know, a ton of value. Think like Brian Williams, nay, Bison DeLay was a a fantastic player. Um, People forget how 
damn good Lauren Woods was. Oh, he was at what his role was. He was phenomenal. Or how, you know, how much Jordan Hill grew as a player from his freshman to senior year by the time, you know, by the time he was finishing up his career, how much value he was contributing on the court. Solomon Hill, if you want to go in the Sean Miller era. I was going to say Solomon Hill is one of those guys that added a lot of value in small ways. Um, and Nick I think wise, you have to appreciate, even though he didn't really do much. Like, yeah, I think I think there's a general truism in sports that well-roundedness is underappreciated, and a single skill that they do excellent is overrated. And I think that's true across all sports. And I think that's where Solomon Hill is like that guy that you know did a little bit of everything really solidly, if not spectacularly. And you don't you don't appreciate how good that is. Um, and I'll throw out one more name, and it maybe it it might piss off some people, but whatever. Caleb Tarzuski, I think, is massively underappreciated for Agreed. his time. Um, like, I, I I'd like to think I know uh, a bit about how the game is played and can kind of see some of that subtle nuance that that he'd contribute. Um, and it didn't show up in like blocked shots, but how he would contest shots and defensive rebound. Uh, you know, effectively, you know, rotate. Uh, there's there's a lot of things he did that I, I, you know, I think he suffered from. We all see what he probably could have been, at least offensively, with a little bit more aggression. You see flashes of it. Um, and I still think he never reached his full potential, but that doesn't mean he wasn't an incredibly underappreciated value-add contributor to those teams. I think Tarzuski's, and I, this doesn't exactly answer the question, but the question kind of led into this, is his, he was more a victim, I think, of just being overshadowed by some absolute superstars. Other than his senior year, when it was a freshman Alonzo Trier and Ryan Anderson, the team that flamed out against Wichita State, he was on teams that made it to the Elite Eight, should have gone further, but you had Stanley Johnson, you had TJ McConnell, Nick Johnson, Aaron Gordon, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. When you think of those teams, those Elite Eight teams, those are the guys you think of first because they were the stars. And Tarzuski, I think before Dusan Ristich, wasn't he, Tarzuski, the career leader in wins as a Wildcat? Like, I believe so. So, and that's, I mean, he was on good teams. And was he the best player on any of those teams? No. But he was absolutely a key part of every one of those teams. They were not nearly as good without Caleb Tarzuski. So he's one of those guys where his stats didn't blow you away but his impact was very much felt on the court. So I, I agree with you on him. I was trying to think of some other guys that maybe, because again, like I going back, like I mentioned Nick Wise, he was a player, he was good for four years, had four different coaches. So you have to feel for him. He didn't take the team anywhere, but it's like, he's just one of those guys. And I guess after that, it's hard because, you know, which players stay for long enough times to be them. Like I really might be a guy by the time this next season, we say, you know what? That guy's underappreciated. No, I mean, this, the numbers are, you're giving me a look. But, like, the numbers <laughs> aren't there. But a four-year guy during this time, like Dusan Ristich, a four-year guy is hard to find. And were they underrated? No. Is he underappreciated? Maybe. And that's not to say Dusan Ristich brought great success to the program. But just guys who stick it out for four years and improve every year and are good players, good teammates, good Wildcats, I think there's room for them at that table. So... You know, it's tough because if you're thinking of Khalid Reeves, then you obviously appreciate him, right? So he's not underrated to you. And he certainly had a really good credit guy went to the NBA. So it's not like he was a guy that was overlooked. But when, I guess when you look back at the best players in Arizona history, he's not often thought of by people right now. You know, people from a different yeah. era probably do think of him that way. But people right now probably don't think of Khalid Reeves off the top of their head. Yeah, and I, I'll even throw two more out there uh, that kind of fit 
what we're talking about with like the Dusan Ristich mold or Caleb Tarzuski, uh, in two different generations of Wildcats, like Kyle Fogg, that guy helped maintain the streak of of tournament runs um, like for Kyle making Fogg. the tournament. And he's had, you know, pretty good success in his post-Arizona career, even though it's not in the NBA. Uh, and one other guy that, you know, the guy that does the little things really well, and from, you know, I, 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 have, I haven't met him, but I know people that know him fairly well and say how good of a, just a good of a human being he is. Reggie Geary, you know, maybe okay, a little yeah, yeah. early before when you were following them, Adam. And I think he ended up um, on the coaching staff at some point, too, Reggie Geary, for a little bit. I forget. Was uh, it? I can't remember if he did or not. He's been in the, the athletic department he at a, at a couple times, and then he was coaching, I think, overseas as well. Um, but, you know. Uh, he was an assistant got, in 2008-2009. Boom. Uh, Nailed it. <laughs> I did it. Um, Show over. But yeah, like, you know, one of those guys that was, you know, didn't need to be a scorer, but would play, you know, hella good defense and, you know, be a good passer and a good teammate. And like, I think that goes back to my argument of the well-roundedness is always underappreciated mm-hmm. and the one skill is always over, over uh, valued. And I think he's another guy that fits in that mold. And it also depends on how far your teams go. And if your teams go make deep runs and you were a key player, you remember more fondly, right? Like it's your impact could be the same as someone else. But if you weren't the key guy on a team that made it far, then people are like, they don't remember you. They remember the other guys. They remember the stars of those teams. So it's a good question, though. Like that's an exercise where you could go back and look at just Arizona walk. And I almost feel like in some ways you have to break it down by generation, right? If you have like the Lute Olsen years, you have the Sean Miller years is because I don't know how you compare everyone. I mean, that's what people do in sports, so we could do it. But Arizona's had so many good players run through that program over the years where you can find guys who are probably overrated to a degree, properly rated, and underrated and underappreciated. And you probably you could put any one of those players probably in either any of those groups, and you're going to find people. Yeah. Right? You're going to find or, someone who loves Khalid Reeves and is like, you know, that guy's the best. You know, and you're going to find who've never heard of him. Like, that's I'm just still thinking the I'm still thinking of more like, how about Jason Gardner? Go look at his stats. Yeah. He was really you know, he was a good player. Really good just teams. Naming, we're just basically naming the, all of the players from the Sean Miller, Lou Dolson, and transition years. Yeah. So basically. Now that, I mean, now that is a homer take. You know, that <laughs> might be. No one ever talks about him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could honestly make a case that Sean Elliott, the god of Arizona basketball history and local kid, is maybe even underappreciated for how good he was in college. Yeah. Like, he was that good in college. Yeah. But, and that, that's how it goes. Know. When you're a program like Arizona that's had a lot of talent roll through, you're going to have players who are worthy of being, like, even in, no matter how appreciated they are, you could argue that they're underappreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, Brett, I, I, I think that wraps up. Who, who sent that question in again? Sam Askew. Thank at, you. At Sam Askew 11. Appreciate that question. It's a good question. It's a great topic. And like I yeah. said, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Like You could name a lot of players, and if you think they're underappreciated, they're probably underappreciated. I mean, I could come up with a wrong answer. Let's get one before we end the show. Who's the wrong answer? Uh, Chris Rogers is the wrong answer. Yeah, no one appreciates him, though. He was also a not pleasant person. That, that was just story. At the rec center a few times, and I've heard other stories. and like He was just... Yeah. You can't be underappreciated if you're not appreciated at all. I mean, he was, I think, maybe the number one rated uh, point guard recruit that year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Things happen. There are mis- five, five star talent, one star person. Even Lou Olson missed in recruiting every now and then. It's just the way it goes. But Brett, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Um, that was a good one. A lot to talk about. I think so. Yeah, I, I hope you all so. enjoyed listening. Remember to smash that subscribe button. We're available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can find. You know, if you're not subscribing, subscribe. Also, make sure you're listening to the play-by-play tracks that Brian and the gang are putting together because they're just fun to listen to wins and old-school games. Some of these players that are underappreciated, you'll get to hear about them. I know Brian Williams was a recent one that they've been talking about a lot because that guy was just a beast back in the early 90s. Um, so, yeah, do that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. This is a Twitter account. Always send us your questions if you have any during the week. doesn't have to be right before the show. Just, we'll make sure we answer them. What's up, Brett? What do you got? Nothing. I'm just enjoying listening to you. Oh, that that's the first time anyone's ever said that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever happens with Arizona football, basketball, anything, or next week, we'll talk about it on our next show. But until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.